This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontiers, show number four, recorded on June 13th, 2014. Here on Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity, big data, and the technology shaping the future through an academic perspective. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studio, studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska. And of course, we have Kristen Johnson now uh, post his freshman year, student at the University of Maryland, there at College Park. Never on schedule, but always up to date. We post the show and the show notes out at the AverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, maybe you're watching the recorded version of this and you'd like to get a question into us, something uh, strikes a question that you might have during the show, send those to, an, in, in, to my email, jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. You can also find me on Twitter at Jay Collison. And now call in those questions, 402-478-8450. If you're driving, don't try and write that down. But stop, 402-478-8450. And we'll play those questions right here on the program. All right, we are, uh, we're here today, number four, Christian. It has taken us two months to get from three to four, but welcome back. Great to see you. Yeah, great to be back. Um, hoping to shorten that down, obviously, this summer and get some regular shows and production out there uh, for everyone. Uh, so finals, obviously, and the wind down of freshman year was that vacuum of two yeah. months. And um, right now I'm working at uh, Gallup uh, with you mm-hmm. and uh, doing some stuff over there, as well as uh, over here at where I'm sitting right now at uh, Mid-Atlantic Crossroads doing the networking and high-performance compute work for them. Uh, so it's, it's actually great to be back in that environment, um, and I'm enjoying my time. So looking forward to getting on that regular cycle. So. Yeah, good to have you back. I think we talked about, you and I talked about every other Friday, and uh, we're gonna we're just going to kind of plan it, and if we have to move it, we will, but that'll kind of be just a regular schedule for us every other Friday to, through the summer to try and get those up to speed. So yeah. watch for some more cyber frontiers as they come out this summer. I'd, I'd like to get on a regular schedule. just makes it a lot easier for me. And then joining us tonight, a guest, a guy that's been around the Home Server Show community. So if you know anything about me in these podcasts, you know we started over at homeservershow.com with Dave McCabe, and he's been around a long time, and uh, lurking, I think, is the word I use, but Mark Goldstein. Mark, how are you this evening? Good evening, gentlemen. How are you doing? We are doing well, Mark. Uh, you Earlier in the pre-show, you told me you're a VP of Business Development at Insider Spider. Just tell us a little bit about what you do, how long you've been there, those kinds of things. Sure. Okay. So you, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background here. And uh, I guess we'll go back to where I got engaged in cybersecurity and privacy issues, if that's all right with you. Sure, yeah. Sure, okay. So let's go back to 1999. Uh, At that time, I was just starting working at America Online, providing you guys with uh, that great dial-up service. Woohoo! Yeah, and um, as I was starting at at, uh, AOL, um, my family became the target of medical ID theft. And now, this is in the days way before people were talking about uh, data breaches like uh, you know every day of the front page of the newspaper. This was something rather rare. But uh, a, a medical ID breach is pretty significant because, look, if, if someone steals your money, Usually, Visa, MasterCard, your bank will will uh, make it up to you, but if someone steals your DNA, it's gone. If someone steals information about a medical condition, it's gone. So um, 
when that happened, I became very interested in what was what was the consequences of this? Uh, how were people prosecuted? How do how do people like like the average guy uh, protect themselves from these threats of medical ID, uh, financial ID theft, any kind of identification uh, theft that could occur? So I worked for quite a few years at, at AOL. Um, I, I guess sort of my my claim to fame at, at AOL was. Um, I was doing some work trying to find out why we were having a, a significant problem with cancellations. Ended up uh, visiting uh, 20 customers, and these were actually former customers. As we were going through and with my lab manager looking at uh, their computers, every one of them had malware, mm -hmm. and every one of them thought that America Online was the cause of their problem. And so I came back uh, from that trip, wrote the Malware Manifesto, and that became AOL's uh, safety and security program. And that really was the, the start of that. It was around uh, 2004, 2005. Uh, I worked in, in AOL's uh, privacy department. I worked in cybersecurity work. Uh, a few years ago, I went out on my own, started a um, uh, cybersecurity, privacy, and IT consulting business called Safe, Secure, Private. Try to get all three issues in there. <laughs> Uh, it's a long name, but uh, uh, it, it was uh, quite a lot of fun doing that. And, and uh, along the, the way, I'm a uh, advisor to a group called the Online Trust Alliance, and their issue or, or their their uh, concern is that the internet's based on trust, right? You open up an email, do you really know it? It's from Citibank. You go to a website, do you really know that that it's uh, it's your bank's website? Uh, the whole issue of, of things like uh, DNS and SSL. Of course, we now you know look at Heartbleed as an example. Uh, there's a lot of trust mechanisms that that are n not available in the internet. Uh, even look at things like your browser, which we're going to talk about in a bit. Uh, so I, I spent some time. In fact, I, I still am an advisor for the Online Trust Alliance. And now recently, I've joined uh, this uh, Insider Spider, which is looking at the emerging issue of, of insider threats, uh, which, by the way, is not just Edward Snowden, right? I mean, everyone knows Snowden, but I was talking to a guy yesterday who used to be the CIO of the city of San Francisco, and uh, he told me the story about one of his employees who hijacked, it actually was an IT employee, who hijacked all of the servers in the city of San Francisco so that no one could get their password changed. No one could, there was no modifications. And so it was, it's quite a story. Uh, but it just goes to show that, it's, that, that insider threats can be someone stealing information. It could be someone doing malicious uh, activity. It, it's, it's unfortunately a rising problem. And I guess last, uh, Christian and I the other night, uh, got together at a uh, group called the uh, Mach 37, M-A-C-H 37, uh, which is a cybersecurity incubator in uh, Northern Virginia, which is where I'm located. Mach 37 uh, helps uh, uh, startup cybersecurity companies uh, build their products, get out in the marketplace. And uh, so Christian and I got a chance to, to meet with some of the people who have got some interesting ideas and things like uh, IPv6, right? Uh, how do you secure yourself? Uh, we're all moving to IPv6. Uh, how are how we going to be secure when we get to that instead of IPv4? 
um, things like um, uh, sensors in the network that uh, are, are focused, or I should say, that, that are based on uh, um, biological mechanisms as, as their uh, uh, as their 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 the basis of, of, of their uh, thoughts. So that brings us up to where I'm at today, and uh, right. look, look forward to talking about some uh, privacy and cyber uh, security issues. Now, very cool. Great to have you with us, Christian. Let me throw it back to you with Mach 37. I know that's just a real recent event that you went to. Let's start there and kind of talk through what did you see, your interest in it. You're coming at it with a, kind of a fresh pair of eyes, uh, so to speak, from cybersecurity. Uh, walk me through that a little bit. Sure. So for me, it's a little bit different because everyone in the room is uh, pretty senior in the field doing their own entrepreneurial startups. And uh, really, it's like uh, an, a, a quiet echo in the room in terms of academia representation. So I was the only kind of university presence. And of course, I was from Maryland. So that was just awkward in and of itself considering, you know, this 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 uh, discussed um, sort of uh, competition between Maryland and Virginia, which we all keep quiet. But um, So in any case, there is uh, really exciting to see some of the conversations. Uh, I think we had a gentleman, the guest speaker was from BAE, is that correct? Yes, exactly. Uh, British Aerospace. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, we had a really good conversation. So obviously besides the companies just kind of giving their pitch and doing all the networking and learning about what they're what they're getting at, uh, we had a really good conversation around things like where do we actually get validated and strong data sets for cybersecurity? And you know, that's been a real problem uh, for many research institutions to actually be able to publish research papers that you know you can have someone. You know, it's reproducibility of work is one of the number one ratings that gets applied to graduate level work at a university, right? So when we are doing this in cybersecurity and these folks are standing up during these uh, conferences and saying, you know, well, why can't I reproduce this? Well, when everyone says, well, it's because you're not using the same data we were and we can't give you our data because either it no longer exists or we're under NDA or, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, uh, the, the, usually it's the, it's the privacy issue, right, Christian? Uh, well, you know, our data is, is, you know, it's our customer data, it's our employee data, we, we don't want to share it. Right, and so even if it's anonymized, uh, people are very skittish about it, so it's been a big uh, issue, um, so interesting to hear talks about that. Also really about uh, kind of focused on where where is the, the mitigation of some of these threats taking place and uh, really looking at more of kind of a people aspect. Again, I saw that a lot in the folks who were there, um, which was interesting considering that, you know, these folks are all selling a product which is, you know, technical focused and they're doing technology, but uh, very interesting to hear the gentleman from BAE basically say that, you know, unless you're analyzing why people are getting into the systems and that, that not the just patching every single possible uh, technology hole that's in your network, uh, you're missing the larger threat that's accessible to you. So interesting ideas, uh, certainly not the first time I've heard these things, but um, nice to hear within this type of space where you're looking at you know, startups, venture capital, um, these companies hopefully getting accelerated to a place where um, they're ahead of the curve from where other people would be if they weren't a member of this accelerator. Um, and of course, these guys have been in and out of large companies and doing really cool stuff. So uh, Mark mentioned earlier the you know the talks and just what I learned about IPv6 talking to some of the folks there, uh, really cool to see. So it's a kind of a 
very, I like the entrepreneurial fear to it, but also having the kind of intellectual conversations is kind of very reminiscent of uh, some of the conversations we have doing research in ACES and so forth. So, you know, very cool event to be at. Yeah, and in fact, I should mention every Thursday night uh, while the uh, the cohort class is in session, there's two sessions a year, uh, we have a, a dinner where we bring in a speaker like uh, the gentleman who is the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer for British Aerospace. So we'll bring in people who are uh, cybersecurity entrepreneurs who will tell their story. Hey, here's, here's where I started. Here's how I got funding. Here's how I found customers. Here's, uh, here's how I grew the company. And all the way to the point where someone came along and said, hey, you know, you got something really cool and, and uh, you know, we're a big company. We'd like to, to, to buy it from you. And ultimately, if you're an entrepreneur, that's you know that's a good thing. So, from their from their site. So just for those uh, following along in the notes, uh, uh, Mach 37 says they're an incubator, right? For it, Mach 37 is an intensive 90-day program created to launch cyber startups. So, why why the particular focus in in that arena and just not tech startups in general? Well, because there was a market need. Right, uh, the uh, you know Christian is across the the river, the Potomac River. He's, he's in Maryland. Uh, I'm in Virginia, and you know this particular area is, is just a hotbed of of uh, cybersecurity innovation. Um, you know the internet was was built here uh, out of uh, the Pentagon and and uh, uh, DARPA. Uh, so there's a lot of of companies, a lot of expertise that's come out of both the government and uh, the, the uh, enterprises. So, uh, I mean, there's, there, there's certainly a lot of, of tech incubators. I, I know you, uh, Jim, you do a program where you bring in some folks from the, the local area around your home talking about the incubation and, and, and startups. So this is, you know, just the, this, per, we, the folks who ran it just happen to have expertise in cybersecurity and, and sure. thought that this was the right thing to do. Sure, fits in with the area. Yep. What's your role then at, at Mach 37? So it, it's a mentor. It, it's a you know, unpaid position. It's it's just to, to help the uh, the organizations. Uh, the you know I, I, my particular forte is is in looking at strategy, uh, also doing uh, work in in uh, in marketing. You know one of the things that, about cybersecurity is is that uh, often we we talk about it in very technical language, and that's great if if we're talking among you know cyber engineers. But ultimately, you're talking very often to the CEO of the company, the, the chief financial officer, the, the, the legal officer. And the last thing that they want to know about is, well, let me tell you about some uh, APT. Right? And they go, what's an APT? Oh, advanced persistent threat. Well, what's that mean? Right? What they want to know about is, is how it's going to affect their business. Right? Is, is my production potentially going to be shut down because we have uh, some malware that's on the factory floor? Uh, so it's, it's good to be able to communicate, to learn how not only to be very technical, and, 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 uh, but also to, to be able to explain things to others in the organization. And then on the site, they say a countdown to S14 demo day. So what's that all about? Oh, yeah. So um, next week, uh, there is, uh, at the end of each... Uh, cohort class, there's an opportunity to have a, um, you know, a venture capital pitch, a VC pitch. Uh, we invite in 100, 150 
uh, venture capital folks from uh, a lot of them from the Washington DC area but we get people from Silicon Valley others who, uh, up and down the East Coast and you do a pitch right the pitch is like you uh, uh, you know like the, the classic elevator pitch where you get on the first floor with uh, someone very important and you're supposed to be able to tell them uh, all, all of the important things about you in 35 seconds by the time you get up to the seventh floor uh, so in this case here, it's a seven-minute pitch where you talk about uh, what what problem you're trying to solve, um, what's unique about uh, your solution, what's the the size of the marketplace. Uh, it, it's a uh, it's kind of tough to when you you've spent weeks and months and years developing s some intellectual property, and now you got to uh, do this uh, pitch in seven minutes. So that's the, the demo days, and so, so Jim, everyone gets a chance to uh, to get up and, and talk about what they're doing. And it's kind of like a TED talk, right? That's yeah, like, it's ex exactly yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's it's almost like speed dating for venture capitalists. Yeah, yeah, no, right on, very cool, Christian. Anything else you wanted to add on that experience there? Yeah, no, I think that about covers it. But um, it's cool. it's cool to see what types of products are coming out of it. Actually, uh, one of the companies um, I don't know if they were pre in the previous cohort or if they're just a part of the program. Uh, Cypherpath uh, actually sold a one of their new products to our Aces Lab, and I knew. I, I was kind of aware of it because I knew these guys were setting it up in the lab and they were telling me about it, but I wasn't really connecting the dots until I was talking to the COO of that company and, and they were saying, hey, we sold this thing to you guys at Maryland. And I'm like, uh, maybe it was our program. And uh, sure enough, it's going to be in our ACES lab uh, in the fall. And uh, that's for software-defined networking and doing cybersecurity experiments in a kind of reconfigurable uh, network uh, world of where everything is basically a virtual network and uh, you're just relying on the hardware interfaces to build basically an enterprise into a very virtual space so um, it's interesting well it's cool to see that we have that technology coming from uh, companies like that which are coming out of the accelerator and of course Christian wanted to get all the beta releases sent to him so they had <laughs> I never said that <laughs> They they were actually I, I will say this that, that it was it's, it was such a shock to, to the uh, the CEO and the COO of of Cipher Path to meet Christian because it's like hey one of our customers is here look everyone our customer <laughs> so uh, it was a customer sighting right it, it was market validation for them and uh, yeah. thanks to Christian yeah no that's really that's that's good I mean it's it's I think the uh, for the average guy, that the average tech guy that listens to uh, home gadget geeks or and now listening here to, to Cyber Frontiers, may not be aware of the intense uh, cybersecurity focus that's going on right now. And certainly, I wasn't aware. I'll be honest. Until Christian mentioned that to me, I had no idea. Being here in Omaha, the uh, the intensity. Uh, and the more we talk with you guys, the more I realize, man, in the Beltway, it is intense when we yeah. talk about cybersecurity, right? Yeah. And it's funny too because we were I, I I think we were talking about it at the event how it's pretty much like yeah you have Virginia DC and Maryland and it's like it's on everyone's radar whether you're in technology or not and then you you know you trickle up north or you trickle out Midwest and it's like yeah no one really cares um, of course the exceptions being places like New York City Silicon Valley 
Um, but you know, it's it's fascinating to see just how much buzz there is about it. I, some of it warranted buzz, to be honest. Um, other stuff makes me wonder, but um, yeah, it's it's the it's it's on in in the in the technology realm, especially for DC, it's probably in the top top three topics. I would say with with pretty confident certainty at this point. You you, you know, for for so many years, um, I would go to a cocktail party. Oh, I didn't go to many cocktail parties, but when I went to a cocktail party, and someone says, "Hey, so what do you do?" and I'd say, uh, "Cybersecurity." And then they go, oh wait, my my uh, glass needs to be refreshed. Where where's the bar? And and they go run off, you know, and get their their drink. And now, when you say, um, yeah, I do cybersecurity, and they go, oh yeah, darn, I got a target uh, credit card. What a mess. What should I do about that? Mm-hmm. Or, or I got an eBay account. Uh, tell me what what I. You know, it goes on and on because today. Everyone's being affected, uh, especially by these data breaches. It's it's just crazy. I mean, every I I, I almost uh, it's just so sad to be able to read the front page. Uh, I read the Washington Post, and it's like every other day there's something there about a a, a breach. And and I got to say, so so I'll talk a little bit about myself for just a second. You know, when I was doing privacy work, I always told the the the, the people I was working with, protect the data like it's your data. Because it is your data, almost always, and I think that that's you know often we we kind of forget that that uh, when there's a breach there are, you know it's mom it's dad it's it's your brother and your sister and everyone else that are being affected by it. Yeah. So I'll get I'll get off my soapbox. I'm just very very passionate about protecting data. No, I and rightly so, and I'll cover up the numbers, right? But I have a new credit card here that it's in my hands because of a breach, right? And and um, you know, there was a breach, and of course, Chase had to reissue a whole. You know, and, and and I wasn't even a part of the breach. This is the crazy thing with this: is I wasn't even a part of the breach, but they just reissued it anyways. So, they were like, "You're getting new cards. Don't you know? Just get, get over it. You're gonna have to change a bunch of things." And uh, so they're being very proactive. You know, one one of my 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 perhaps favorite, although very sad tale, is the couple of years ago I I got a letter. And it was from the White House, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, the president wants to talk to me. No, it wasn't the president. It was the privacy office. Turned out that I had visited the White House uh, a few years ago. And in order to get into the White House, you have to give them your social security number. Well, guess what? The, the, the hard drive that contained my social security number was stolen. <laughs> So I, I have this letter. I should frame it. You know, the, yeah, the you day should, that the, sure. the, the White House uh, breached. Uh, Apologized. Yeah, exactly. For, for Crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and this makes for a nice segue into, you know, Christian and I, last time we talked, uh, two weeks ago, Christian was on uh, Home Gadget Geeks, and we kind of caught up a little bit. Um, but uh, the last time we talked, we talked about some things that, you should and shouldn't do, and you know one of the things we we mentioned, and I said on the show publicly, uh, my social security number is part of the public record at this point, and I have no, I have no uh, illusions of privacy. It's just it's out there, right? It's there's just there's no way it's not, and so I've got to do some things to kind of protect myself, knowing that that is in the public realm. It has to be. Uh, what could I do to protect myself against that? Um, Christian, you have listed here privacy and cybersecurity part two. I'm assuming you're referring to part two because we did part one at some other other point in time. 
Well, yeah, I think the uh, conversation that we had when uh, Dr. Jim Pertolo was on in show three really was the the first um, emerging of of talking real privacy topics for you know average guy institutions etc. Uh, so and and I think you know what Mark has done uh, in terms of his you know. Uh, career history is very reflective of that, and so I'm I'm very interested to see where they cross over because um, Dr. Pertolo is coming from an academic background, uh, Mark is coming from industry and from uh, you know doing the entrepreneurial and some of the other stuff as of recent. So very interested to see where the crossover is if you know two two if many of the same ideas overlap or if there's some points of contention. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Mark, before you get started, as I'm eyeballing this list, it, this is a pretty average guy. This is an average guy list. This yeah, isn't the, the exactly. crazy, you know, spooks behind every corner. This is kind <laughs> of an average guy list. So take a second. Let's walk through this list that you have there and kind of cover these items. Yeah, sure. And so, look, uh, there's always this issue of, of you know, protection equals lack of convenience. In other words, the you know, the more protection you get, the less convenient. Uh, you know, like if I have to keep all of my uh, uh, my secrets in a vault at the bank, it's probably very well protected in that vault. But if I want to get access to my secrets right now and it's a Sunday afternoon, I can't get access to them. So there's always that kind of trade-off and everyone's going to have to figure out what's right for them. And, and like Jim, you know, your perfect example. I remember a couple of months ago you were talking about LastPass, right? And and that was right after the the heartbeat uh, uh, incident that was occurring. And you said, oh yeah, I guess I better get my LastPass, you know, running. And uh, so everyone's going to have to figure out what yeah, makes did, the most. The way, Mark, I'll just, thank I'll goodness. Just, I did. First time. Everything is captured now. Well, everything I know of. <laughs> yeah, because you know your social security number is probably available in the public library in town because you know it's yeah. often it show it literally it shows up very you know, like in mortgage uh, records or property sure. records. It's it's, it's just public record. Assume yeah. that it it, it it is almost public at, at this point. So so as we're kind of going through the list here, I, I wanted to offer up some ideas, and, and some of these are kind of in a little. Uh, Christian, I put an order together, but uh, you know it, it may sound like they're out of out of order, but it doesn't matter. They're all things that that the average guy can can do, um, and and so I'll go through a couple of them. When you register for a website, maybe it's Amazon, it's eBay, it it's um, uh, uh, Pinterest, it's you know wh whatever. There, there's I, I'm sure most of us who are listening to the show probably. Uh, are, are members or subscribers to dozens, probably you know a hundred different websites, and and one piece of advice is don't give them your real email address. And part of the reason for that is that your your real email address is is almost like your social security number, right? Because that's how people identify you. It, you know, it, it, it's. And I'm not, I I won't give out anyone's email address here unless it, it is public. But but everyone knows you as such and such at you know gmail.com. Um, and so the suggestion here is to use a service uh, like uh, uh, Abine. That's A B I N E Abine.com, and they have a free program called Mask Me. M A S K M E. And if you go to Abine.com, you look for Mask Me, and and it's really simple. What it does is it hides your email address. So when I register for a new account, 
it gives me an address that's basically a pseudo random address and the the the, uh, the website all they know is a pseudo random email address but abine then sends all the email that's supposed to come to me and they forward it to my actual email address I also not only use this from a security perspective, but I also like to know who's uh, sending out spam, right? So if I see an email address and I go, oh, didn't I give that address to company X, and now I'm seeing spam to that account? So it's real, pretty simple to do. Does that make sense there? The you know, getting a, a kind of a fake email address. Let me ask you though, how different is that than say, just you know, I get five or six alias accounts in uh, when I open up a live account through Microsoft. It allows me to create five aliases. What if I have I have one that's called like spam me not at outlook.com, right? That I that I, I created on purpose to use as a spam. <laughs> right. How how different is using a service like this than having a dedicated you know, uh, email address that you give when you sign up for these guys. Yeah, yeah, Jim, it, it's very similar. The, the difference is that once that spam account, uh, well, first of all, if, if you're just using the address for purposes of just registering, you're never ever going to use it again. Who cares what what the address is? But if you're going to have a re going relationship with an organization, you want to have an address that that they can use when they want to communicate to you. So in this case here, it's it's like the spam address you have, but you know I could have a hundred of them, okay. as as basically as, as many as I want, and I can control each one of them. So if if I decide that I no longer want to be a customer of eBay's. I can go into to my control panel for the mask me and shut it off and say, oh, no more email from, from eBay, and I'll never see another email. And so here's where I'm going to move this into a much larger question, right? So I've, been, I've heard now multiple opinions on both sides of the argument on whether or not IPv6 is, in fact, more secure. <laughs> and on, on one side... I have people who are telling me, well, you have, uh, it, you know, I think every if every person was on a planet, they could each have like a quadrillion billion addresses or something like that. So this fact that you are a very small needle in the haystack makes it more secure. Then on the other hand, I have guys telling me, well, if one of those devices does in fact get its IP and does get scanned and does get compromised, uh, because IPv6 is a globally uh, linked solution, you've basically just let them into your whole network with no natting or you know systems level um, protection. So the question becomes: at the same level of concern with emails, is there really a justification for this notion where we have a bunch of many small possible addresses that we can turn on and turn off versus, well, we know that we know that this guy is at this address anyway, um, so why not just filter and do the protection there? And I think when we talk about email addresses as identifiers, the same type of question um, comes up. Do we really care whether or not someone knows that this address is linked to me? And when we start looking at the big data and the data mining aspects of this, Nine out of ten times, the companies that collect massive amounts of data will say, well, yes, we're collecting all this information about you, but we're anonymizing it, so uh, so this really isn't a thing. Um, let's assume, though, that they're not, and let's assume that they collect all this data, and you are 
let's just call it the evil Google. Um, of, of course, some people think that that's evil a fake. Google that's a fake is, company, right? Right, Christian. Right, it's a fake company. Oh, okay, some just want to make sure. Some people think it's not a fake company. <laughs> I remain neutral right now. Um, but you know, so so evil Google collects all of my data, just all of it. Anything that I'm using as a service comes up to them, and but I am one of a billion customers that use evil Google. So what's the percent <laughs> probability that someone at evil Google is going to actually maliciously use my data? One in a, is, it, is, it, is it conceivable that you can answer that question one in a billion? And if so, you've just made the same argument for IPv6, and yet, oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, you have one in quadrillion uh, addresses, so you must be secure. We just said that with the privacy argument, and yet people are like, no, this can't be possible. They want to find you. You're in there. And so, you know, is there really any reconciliation between the two topics? Because they're really this, it's the same question of what is the level of scale um, in, in these issues. It's the same problem. Wow. Uh, so, how many hours do we have for this uh, podcast tonight? Uh, less than one. <laughs> less than one. So, so maybe the, you know. Obviously, this is an, an issue of, of uniqueness, and and whether it's your social security number, it's an IP address, it's it's you know any other identifier. Um, I, I think, for purposes at least perhaps of, of the average guy show. Um, if if someone wants to be able to control their email addresses, turn them on, turn them off, there you know, mask me is is a pretty simple way to do that, and and yes, frankly, there there probably we could talk a lot about whether uh, um, a quadrillion IP addresses is is, is uh, unique enough, or uh, we're just back in the same situation again. We're we're just fooling ourselves. Is that Christian? Would that be a, a the the way you like to end that, yeah yeah oh. no I think that's that's valid. So so maybe after the show, uh, um, hell uh, guys I'll stay up till at least two or three in the morning. We could talk about this. <laughs> I probably won't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so you want me to you want me to go on with a couple other things? Here? Uh, yeah, I want to hear the yeah. other the okay. other stuff too. So so this one I'm going to make really simple, and and that is just everyone should be aware that when they use Facebook, when they use LinkedIn. Their privacy settings, uh, and you could control if you want to be uh, more anonymous or less anonymous. Uh, again, this is one of those things we could spend probably an hour talking about the the various uh, controls. Be aware that they're there, and and you know check them out. Make sure that that uh, it meets it with your comfort level. What is it that you want to expose privately to your friends and what do you want to expose publicly to everyone else? Mark, a few recommended settings in there. I know we don't want to go through them all. Nah, but... I'm not even going to uh, attempt okay. uh, on that one, but because uh, it's it, it frankly. So, for example, LinkedIn. If if you're a job seeker, uh, you know you're a recruiter, Jim. So so you're trying to find out information about your prospective employees. If their privacy settings are set. So, so high that you can't find anything out about them, then it doesn't serve their purpose if they're looking for, for employment. It, it, it's, uh, yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I teach a, a LinkedIn class uh, every week, and, and occasionally I'll have someone who comes in from the, let's call it the intelligence community, 
and and they'll say something like, "Well, we're not allowed to use LinkedIn." Uh, it, it's 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 kind of interesting to see how things are evolving in the world of of social media. Mm -hmm. but, uh, and this kind of piggybacking off the whole privacy aspect, how do you feel when you look? You know, you get that weekly feed from LinkedIn, and it's you know these people have viewed your profile. How yeah. do you feel when it's like six anonymous people viewed your profile? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, me, that's almost, yeah, that's almost as much upset as it is. I, you know, it's like oh, I want to, I, I want to know who are these. I mean, to me, I have a little, yeah. I have some level of care. Like, okay, either this is their default setting, or they really took the time to go incognito window and look <laughs> at my profile anonymously because they don't want to know. And and but then, but then I sit here and think. Well, gee, I do the same thing all the time. If I don't want, if I don't want someone to see that I looked at their profile, I just open up an incognito window and, and you know hit it. Um, so it, it's bizarre that it's it's always a two-sided coin. And you're like, yes, we want we want to be anonymous. And so I actually I made the decision with my LinkedIn. It's a it's a public-facing website. If people don't know enough about what I'm doing in industry by now, they're they're not going to get much more or less from LinkedIn. So if I visit someone's profile, it'll show my name. Yeah, they know I work here and there, but I, I mean I don't really care at this point. People know people know what I'm doing at least at this juncture in my life. Um, so it's for me, I'd rather not have you know be pinging up anonymous on other people's profiles because I find it annoying. Um, you know, at least tell me what company you're from, right? But I don't know if that. So, well, uh, or I'll say one more, more thing about like LinkedIn. They ask for a, a bunch of information when you first go through registration. One of them's your birthday. Now, it's okay if they're using the birthday because they want to use it as an identifier. By the way, I sh I should mention that when a website asks me for my birthday. On January 1st, if I go to a website that asks for my birthday, guess what? My birthday is January 1. Oh, it's now the 3rd of January, and I'm going to a website, and they want to know my birthday. It's January 3rd. So my birthday is 364, 65 days of the year, and I kind of figure it this way. If an identity thief was to, was to steal information from a website, they, they have a 1 in 360 chance of getting the right birthday. So... Just a, my little tip there, and, and, and uh, I'm sorry, I should have ended up with saying that if LinkedIn asks you for your birth date, uh, you expect that they're going to send you a birthday card, right? Why, why make that public information? It doesn't serve anyone's purpose. So I, I tell, uh, advise people not to, to do that. But we could move on to, to uh, so many other topics if that's if that uh, seems yeah, like the talk, right thing to do. Uh, move on. We have fake email addresses. We talked a little. bit. Yeah. about that on the registration yep. side. Talk about no banking on mobile devices. Yeah, so, okay. Let's talk about mobile devices just for a second here, especially Google. Uh, so the Android operating system. Uh, here's a quiz question for, for you guys. So when uh, the Android operating system was created, do you think it was built with enterprise security in mind? What, what do you think the the uh, impetus for for uh, Android OS was? Usability, UI, scale to the masses. How how about showing ads and selling and selling uh, applications? I yeah. that, that's that's I really that. where where it came from. That's the genesis of it. And uh, you know, over time, uh, both Apple and 
uh, um, Android, uh, Google have developed additional mechanisms to, to make their uh, both uh, iOS and Android more secure, but th that's where it came from. And then you, you take this OS that it was not designed from day one with security in mind, and then you, you give it to a manufacturer, to Motorola, to LG, to, to uh, Samsung, and then they throw in some additional software. Uh, right, so I had a, a Samsung S3 recently, and uh, Samsung was really nice because they gave me the Samsung Music Player, and they gave me the Samsung Wallet, and the Samsung Maps, right? And I couldn't get rid of them unless I wanted to root the phone, which is something for another discussion because that's probably not the safest thing from a cybersecurity perspective. So I got all these applications that came from the manufacturer, and they're constantly getting updated. And you know, who knows who wrote those for for Samsung or or, or you know LG or or anyone else? And oh, the next step is is I go to the Verizon wireless store, and those kind people at Verizon, what are they doing? They're adding in their stuff, uh, uh, the the NASCAR application, NFL. Uh, their music player, their maps, their whatever. And so frankly, by the time it, it ends up in my pocket, I've got an insecure operating system with applications that are added by the manufacturer, applications added by the wireless carrier, and then, oh, I'm going to now go out and get uh, Angry Birds. And uh, you guys have Angry Birds on, on uh, your, your phones? No. I don't. Jim, your kids, I bet, have it. Nope. Oh no! Not not for any reason. We just we just never went that uh, way. All right. Is anyone Angry Birds one of the the, the best sellers? Anyone know where Angry Birds uh, is? That a U.S. company? Uh, I believe so. Yes, I think it was a startup in California, maybe. Well, unless we've now taken over Finland, um, which is possible. Things happen quickly. It's a Finnish company called Roxio, and uh, my point is that that. Even us, who are you know, we know pretty much what we're doing. You know, we're, we're, we're well. I hope three of us are smart people. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be on the show. But you know, an application gets added onto to your your phone. You don't even know who it came from. I mean, at least on the on your computer, right? If if if, if Angry Birds was a was a pop up on your computer one day and they said, Hey, would you like to play this kind of cool game on 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 your Windows PC? go, what? You never would install it, but yet on our mobile devices, we'll install anything. And you don't know who the publisher is. Uh, what was it? Nappy Birds was a, a, a takeoff on Angry Birds. It, it was written by a, a, a like a 20-year-old developer, and, and by the way, I love young, you know, the young people write great software. I, mean, I don't mean to pick on a 20-year-old developer, but it, it was, he was a, a gentleman from Vietnam. Who, who knew what, he, what was in that application? Right? Is there something that, that may steal uh, various, you know, your banking credentials? I don't know. So it's a long way of saying I'm a little nervous about anything that goes on with my cell phone, so I'd rather not do anything secure. Yeah, and, and let me say, Mark, I think... That's a reasonable request, right? I mean, I think there's some people who are like, well, what do you mean? I, I, I want to check my banking stuff. I think it, it's, it is one of those things. It's like you have to ask the question, how, how safe do you feel with that? And, I, and all those points are super valid. I mean, it's, it, it is right. Now they get vetted, but we don't know how much. 
There's security on the phones. We don't know how how really how well those work. Um, and so it, it is. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking. You know, I don't do a lot of banking on my phone. Um, for me, my, actually, my bank is where I work, so I can just go. I can just walk in, and I do that a lot. Oh, we're jealous. But, but uh, yeah, you know, I have a credit union right, right there, Gallup. So, but that being said, we we push online services and 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 such like that. And so, I think it's reasonable to think through, and especially what you just said about we just install everything. That's a reasonable request. So I think people have to really think through. What are they? I mean, I think Android's to the point now where it's it's more secure than it's ever been. But you really want to before you go do that stuff, you want to think through. Hey, what have I done with this phone? I would not. I personally would not be as worried about Samsung apps and some of those other apps because those are companies with big pockets and a lot of liability. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and um. Hey, Christian. Yeah. Should Should we ask Jim about uh, Open SSL? And, and all of the big companies that were using OpenSSL. Sure. Well, yeah. but, but I would I would do, I would say that's different because that is open source software that is contributed to by the community, mm-hmm. not necessarily an app created by you know not Samsung is creating a music app. I would not be as worried about them trying to track my personal PII or whatever mm-hmm. uh, information that's in there as I would about other things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so there's, we're talking actually kind of two issues here. One is the privacy aspect about your information be ending up in places you weren't expecting it. Right. And and then the second piece is is it is it secure? Right. It, can a bad guy come in and 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 steal that? Right. Right. So my my point is just look. Be careful on mobile devices. I love them. I, I mean, I you know I'm use like everyone else. I use them all day long. I, you know, I get in the car, and the first thing I'm doing is turning the GPS on, even if I'm going out to get a, uh, some milk or something. Uh, but I, but just you know, be aware that that you're installing software that you don't know who it came from. So you wouldn't do that on your PC, right? It's if if if, if Angry Birds suddenly showed up on your PC and said, "Install me," you'd go, "Huh? No way." Yeah, yeah. No, I don't disagree. Christian, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, well, I think the encryption standards, too, are really changing um, the actual percent probability that encryption standards aren't as secure as we think has actually, I think, gone up and changed a lot. I mean, really, we saw a couple of years ago, well, not a couple of years ago, probably in this year, uh, last year, uh, you know, the RSA had some serious problems, which, I mean, gosh, some of the top companies that are dealing with sensitive information all have those little RSA fobs. Well, who knows how secure those ever were. Um, OpenSSL, again, used by almost 40% of people who implement SSL, which was thought to be impenetrable, right? Um, well, I guess it is when properly implemented, but uh, I, I rest. Um, but then we also see companies like TrueCrypt, or not even a company, it was a software called TrueCrypt, and TrueCrypt is the most interesting of all of these because the software was written and published anonymously and, you know, put up on a website and, you, you know, no one really... No one really knew they could trust it until everyone kind of was like, yeah, this, this is pretty good. You know, there's no real agenda here. It's, it's out there. It's anonymized. Um, it's, I don't remember if it's open source. It, it might have been. It, it, uh, it, it uses open source uh, as its foundation. I, I'm not sure it's, it's open source itself. I, I don't know. Right. 
Right. Yeah. But I mean, the point was was that a lot of people put trust into this thing, and then it was like all of a sudden a month ago, a little notice on their website that was like, well, we're really not sure if this is as secure as we thought it was, so we're just going to kind of put things on pause, and no one really knows if if they got pressured into, you know, the government or someone else came by and said, hey, we need to figure out how to get into this, and you're not telling us, and we don't know, so something has to change here. Or if the algorithm really did have a, a nasty hole in it, and these guys were like, okay, the whole point of us putting this up here was an anonymous, secure encryption algorithm, and now it's just, uh, you know, we somewhere the bits didn't add up, right? So it's like, what... What encryption at this point do we actually really trust? I think for you know the average kind of botnet or punk cybersecurity person who doesn't really know what they're doing, the punk black hat, right? Yeah, it's going to protect from the plain text sniffing and the open uh, open access point kind of stuff. And but I mean, look at look at uh, wireless encryption standards. Look how that changed real quick. When wireless <laughs> came out, WEP 128 was going to be the black wall that no one got into. I and and now, uh, uh, one of the guys in the Aces program showed our our uh, our students on a Saturday that web can be cracked in about oh I don't know less than a microsecond right and uh, and we did that demo and everyone got their Wi-Fi cards out and you know there it was um, then they came back and said oh no we have it for you now try and get through WPA2 and, uh, <laughs> well guess what in the last yep. couple months WPA2 no more um, Certainly, uh, the magnitude at which you can breach WPA2 is nothing like it is with WEP, but still, I mean, it, it happened, right? Um, the caveat to that being once you get into the enterprise WPA2 where there's a radius server and some other authentication things going on, the fact that the encryption isn't all up to snuff isn't, you know, the isn't exactly um, as big of an issue. But the point is, is that cryptography, which everyone thought was somewhat, you know, had made progress is really pretty vulnerable at this point. Um, actually, they, the Maryland Cybersecurity Center recently just published one of their promotional videos, and really we do have some excellent uh, faculty looking at next-generation uh, cryptography for the cloud compute environment. And, mm -hmm. you know, and and they do provide a very compelling justification for some of the research for you know how we've addressed some of these things. But it really is like until it's out there and you get people hitting it, you don't know. Um, and and it's a cipher, right? At some point, you put enough compute power against it, and someone really wants to go out there and get you, they're gonna get it. So uh, it's it's again, we reduce the. I think cryptography is much more the area where we reduce a surface area almost to a very small probability, but the probability is still there. You, you know, okay, so we're going off script a little bit, and, and um, I love this. Uh, I hope it's okay with as we continue on here. Um, you know, if if the People's Libera Liberation Army in China wants to get access to your data because it has value, it really doesn't matter what you're going to do to protect it. They're going to get access. They have practically unlimited resources. Um, you know, you you can't get enough resources uh, in in most organizations unless perhaps you're the federal government. So it's this is a tough conundrum that 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 all of us face. 
it's perhaps this is a conversation that that the above the average guy, but at least understand that uh, a lot of things that we thought were safe are now being scrutinized, and and, and we're coming back and go, oh wait a second, uh, you know, we got to think uh, and make sure that that we pay attention to to what we're doing as the average guy, which which will lead me into the next piece about LastPass. I love LastPass. I really love LastPass. And I know Jim, we you know, I've heard this the show where, where you had some folks who you had Amber from LastPass on and, and Amber was shaming you into getting all of your passwords set up with LastPass. I admitted I every time I have her on I get I, you know, I, I got guilted into doing that and then I never get around to it. You know, and I had some in there. I wasn't using it completely. And actually the reason I wasn't using it is because I couldn't get it to work at work and on my work laptop. That has recently changed. And so some Things have opened up that allow that plugin to work, and so now I'm fully on board with LastPass. And it's interesting with that. I begin collecting. I'm starting to find accounts in places where, like, you know, you go to the screen and it doesn't it doesn't auto populate. Like, oh, another account that I have that I need to add to LastPass. And so we're back on. We'll actually have Amber back on Home Gadget Geeks. I think three or four weeks. She's going to come back. Oh, we're great. Talk okay. Specifically about Heartbleed. And what it did for LastPass, because they I, they had to just go like gangbusters. Oh yeah, they they have that the pretty cool feature. Yeah. Uh, and I'll let Amber uh, obviously talk about that. But the one thing about LastPass that didn't get talked about previously, and I think should uh, deserves a mention, is in in the world of, of cyber. Uh, again, I talked about uh, convenience a little earlier. Uh, the the trade between convenience and, and more security. So for me, I've made the decision that. I'm going to use LastPass to store my passwords, but I want to have more than just a 16-digit random uh, um, number alphabet characters. I mean, it's 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 just full of stuff that be, uh, are, are the friends uh, that are close to a Christian in uh, in uh, College Park, just a little north of there. They have a nice big agency. They would have a a, a little bit of a time trying to figure out my uh, my LastPass password, although I, I hope they don't take this as a challenge. Uh, but nonetheless, when I do log in with LastPass, LastPass comes back and it has a feature called multi-factor authentication, also known as two-factor authentication. So it's something I know, which would be my LastPass password, and something I am or something I have. And in this case, it's something that I have which would be my um, phone. So I log in with that long password and, and LastPass. LastPass then comes back and says, hey, you need to go to your phone and log into the phone and, and use a, a second factor here, which means I go to the phone and I go put my password in and, and click the button that says, yes, it's okay now to get access to my LastPass account. So you got to know those two factors in order to get that information, and I highly recommend that uh, uh, Jim, you're going to be our guinea pig to see how easy this is. Yeah, it it, it works for me. It, it works so well. I, I'm just so used to to doing it. I, it doesn't bother me. 
my phone is, is with me, uh, you know, almost all day long, so it's pretty simple. Yeah, and I've actually I've turned on two-factor for Google and for Twitter, uh, yep. which seems odd uh, that you'd have it, but I've, I just recently turned that on for those two individuals. It, it is, <laughs> I have to admit, it is a little bit annoying uh, at times. I'll be in a hurry, and and I'll have logged out. I, I change PCs about three times a day. Uh, just in various locations, I'm logging in the studio. Uh, I'm on my laptop. I might have another. I might have a separate whatever that I'm using. And uh, and so those when as soon as they log me out, right? Then I'm I'm I have to I have to reauthenticate again. And so it it can get a little bit. And if like sometimes I've left my phone down on the desk downstairs, and and uh, and so it gets to be. But it's the right thing to do. That's you know I always go. Ugh. Yeah, I know. You know. Whatever. And then I'm like, okay, but it's the right thing to do. So one of the things I haven't done, and I'm actually going to do right now as we go through this, is I didn't. I I left two factor off when I. F- First, set up my last pass the last time to get uh-huh. everything in there. And uh, I left it off just so I wouldn't have, because I was going to be doing a lot of last pass work and I didn't want to have to mess with it. Now that I'm, you know, not having to access it so much that way, I think I'm going to turn it on. So that's uh, that was a good reminder to go out there and turn that uh, that piece on. I, I love to guilt you into doing this. That's all right. I and like and it. actually, there, there, uh, um, last pass has got an like four or five different ways to do multi-factor. The f- there's a couple of different ways on the phone. Uh, I have uh, something called a YubiKey, which is a, uh, a USB keyboard. And it sounds kind of crazy, but basically what it does is, is um, uh, and I didn't bring it with me, so I have to describe it. Uh, it it's a thing about the size of my thumb, and um, you plug it into a USB port, and when I plug it in, it has a 16-digit identifier that's unique to that particular one, and every time I press a little button on the top of it, it creates a pseudo-random number, which gets connected to a server someplace, and it says, "Oh yeah, that YubiKey this the, the, with a unique number, its pseudo-random number that just popped up should be seven three three two four, and that's my again my secondary authentication. It's another way to use LastPass." Um, it, they got a couple of other ways to do it. It just get used to it because that's going to be the the way of the future uh, until we could get rid of passwords altogether. And that is where people like Christian at University of Maryland Cybersecurity Honors Program because he's going to be the first guy to figure out how to get rid of passwords. Right, Christian? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> and I will I will come and work for Christian because he is going to solve that problem. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, too, because we were also talking about, you know, uh, Social Security numbers and the fact that we trust nine digits, which uh, five or six of them are your uh, area of living and, and zip code, or I don't we, know. What we were born. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, the initial uh, numbers or digits in, in the Social Security number uh, refer to where you were born and when you were born. Right. So, the, so the uniqueness is actually sort of the last five or six digits of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like uh, it's almost worse. It is worse than web encryption. So, what does that tell you? Um, but uh, you know, I always uh, I want to. I'm actually looking to do more research on the the new identification system that uh, India has implemented, where they all have some high tech government IDs that has basically uh, leveled off the fraud rate in in a way that we have clearly not been able to put two and two together yet. Um, and it really just makes me wonder how much of this stuff is 
kind of fabricated if you think about it. I mean, honestly, it's a combination of the technology came way too fast. So we as, as you know, uh, corporate America, as cyber and technology enthusiasts, we didn't care for nothing about securing our applications. All we cared about is that it ran fast, it made our customers happy, and it had the features. And security was like an afterthought, and especially when we weren't really, the Internet of Things had not really emerged yet, and we had not created the level of uh, internet interconnectivity that is now here. You know, we just, we ramped up like this with the application and in and, and code development, and we just stayed like this with security. Um, and now that this has kind of come to bite us in, 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 in bad places, we're now kind of like, yeah, the technology is still is sloping upward, but we're at, uh, attributing a significant number of our, our brain cells to going back to those older things and trying to, you know, plug... It's like plugging holes in, 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 a, in a leaky faucet. Um, and, uh, you know, it's now a question of... And, and this was one of the big takeaways from what the gentleman said at Mach 37. It's who's going to be the guy that we've gotten into so many complex sub-disciplines of cybersecurity and the things that are doing it. What is the one idea going to be that's going to make it simple again? Um, and, and that's really... It's, it's going to be a, a kind of a P equals NP problem for cybersecurity. Um, and, and I think that we have a ways to go to get there yet just because the business requirements are so different across uh, the, the, the level for security. Um, but, but yeah, things like passwords should start to phase out. Um, things like social security numbers should not exist. Mm -hmm. um, applications like Target storing our actual numbers and pins and, and other data that need not be there should be gone. Um, and this actually gets into... I'm sorry, I'm going to hijack our list a little bit. Go, go for it. This, You're on a roll here, Christian. You know, this gets into uh, this whole notion of encrypted currency, which everyone is afraid of right now. Oh, Bitcoin. Yes, uh, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, uh, whatever, whatever coin prefix you want to put in front of it. The notion of encrypted currency, no one knows what to do with because uh, look at you know how do how do banks and other um, financial institutions do they acknowledge that encrypted currency is a thing? Do they try and support it? What happens if everyone starts speculating off of virtual encrypted currency and that currency crashes after everyone's moved to it? Then what? Um, but really, just the notion of are we actually safe and comfortable with going anonymous about where our money is going? And honestly, people are. It's an. It's a very interesting dynamic. I think they're. People who I would have expected to outright say no, this is ludicrous, are actually giving it serious thought because they know it's they know it's the way of the future. They know the notion of paper currency is really kind of quaint at this point. Um, but you know, some of the things that we've done to launch these currencies, so um, Bitcoin mining, which is you get a bunch of super high-powered computers together to help run the actual. Uh, transaction that makes the currency encrypted, right? So it's you're, not you're, like... You're making your own money. Right, and it's like, well, how are you doing that, right? And uh, basically, when you 
in order to make the transaction anonymous and to do it encrypted, just kind of like uh, how BitTorrent is peer-to-peer, -peer, right? And everyone is everyone is helping you download a little piece of that file. Well, in Bitcoin or an encrypted currency, everyone is helping you encrypt that little bit of the transaction that's going through the 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 marketplace, right? And so you know, it's like this is an advanced technology. Uh, and, and if we implement these kinds of solutions with the internet, with our financing sector, 99% of the problems of the data breaches and the financial breaches we've had are eliminated under the system. Now that's not to say that new things might not emerge once we start going to these systems, but I think there's a, there's a twofold coin of people acknowledge that these are the advanced technologies that fix these problems, but I don't know if everyone is actually comfortable with letting go into this world where everything is kind of a, it's a, it's an anonymous third-party uh, internet gentleman who's doing all your transactions. I honestly don't know if people can can think that way, um, and I certainly think it's going to take another kind of generation for us to get there. Um, but I think it's going to happen. We're also seeing that the internet itself, which is really very systems-based where there's a gatekeeper, right? Everything is a gateway. Everything's behind a router. You know, uh, uh, protocol communication establishes, and then you send back a response saying, yes, I'm here, and then a packet comes this way. Uh, there are now things that are basically applying the principles of Bitcoin to the Internet, where everything is an encrypted, almost like, a, uh, almost like we are the Borg, the Borg is now coming to the internet where every little device is a piece of this collective encrypted internet brain where all the all the transactions of data uh, knowledge sharing and storage happens in a kind of ubiquitous level playing field where there's no gatekeeper and you're not you know entering one kingdom and leaving another um, and so it will be interesting to see how far we we go into that model and if there's a cutting point, if there's a point where we say, no, we still need gatekeepers here, here, and here, but the rest can be an anonymous pool. And, and I think that, uh, you know, these these technologies are going to change a lot of these conversations that we're having. Um, I certainly also wonder, you know, well, and, and that's one of the cool things about things like uh, Bitcoin is that they purposely did a growth decay so that by the time the technology matured, people wouldn't, uh, would no longer make money off of the transactions because the theory, I guess, would be that, and don't quote me on this because I haven't validated this yet, but the theory being that you would have so many transaction systems available in this ubiquitous thing where there's really no financial incentive anymore. But when Bitcoin started, it's like you get, you know, here's X amount of, when your computer solves a particular code, right, on the CPU, you get, like, oh, I think it's uh, 10 to the negative 9 bitcoins, right? One bitcoin right now goes for about, give or take, $640. And um, when, when the, and they basically did a, a, a growth decay of one half, so just like bacteria de decays at, at one half rates, they're doing the same thing with the transaction uh, reward you get for solving a code, so that eventually you're pretty much making no money 10 years from now doing these transactions. So that's a whole other space that you know we have not even breached into, but yeah. it makes all these conversations seem like child's play, like, oh, what is a password? Why are we doing that? Um, 
but again, I think the much larger question is: Are people see we and and and, and we're we're so double coined on these issues? We love to say that I want my identity protected, I want to be anonymous, and then it's like, well, we will give you this anonymous pool where you know no one, and it's like, well, wait a second. The whole point of the internet is that we're supposed to be able to communicate with people, and preferably communicate with people that we know. And I think people get very mixed between, you know, my financial business, my data business, my business. I want to know who I'm doing business with. And it's it, there are double standards that I think we're in this kind of middle play. And I'd love to get, uh, I'd love to get someone like Vint Cerf who, who built, you know, the gatekeeper model when the internet was first come up. You know, I, I can't wait to ask him, you know, what do, what do you think of this stuff? Is this something that if you had saw this 30 years ago, you would have picked this over this? Um, and if you had to do it all over again now? Um, so, you know, those are questions I'm, you know, eagerly looking to get answers to soon and, and start debates yeah. on that because that's, that opens up a new space for why does all of this matter? You, you, you know, Jim... I think uh, th does the uh, average guy network provide breakfast uh, for uh, uh, the guests on uh, the podcast? No. Christian and I could go for <laughs> for another. F uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, nine twenty yeah. here in the East Coast. We can just go on and on. We'll, we'll have breakfast on the show tomorrow. Well, the good news is is that uh, we 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 have more than enough material to come back. And uh, and to do another show. The good news is we you know we can uh, we're always looking for stuff to do. I do want to be careful that we don't go too long because uh, folks kind of start tuning out and there's a lot of good information. So yeah. so Christian, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if this is a good spot for us to break. We can uh, we can reschedule Mark to come back on and cover some more. It's not like that information is gonna change in the next couple weeks, uh, months as we get uh, as we as we go along uh, the line there. So you are you all right with that? Yeah, because I do want to get into some of the uh, data disaster, resiliency, those topics. Uh, believe it or not, Mark is the first person that made me realize, oh, this does actually fall into these topics. They're relevant. Um, I also want to... Um, well, we're going to line up some guests uh, shortly. i gotta, I got to work on that. But um, I want to bring some of these topics back to the big data side, uh, too, because there's uh, some very relevant things happening there right now. Um, so I, it's, I, I seem to... I have a lot of people who can give some good talks on these things that I've just brought up. Um, I want to see if I can find some folks in the data science side that can match the topics and see if we can find a middle point. So, so, so Mark, so, will you, will so will you come I, back? If yeah, you sure. I, oh, I'd love to. Maybe, maybe I could uh, jump off with, with something to ponder for a moment. Yeah. Since we're, we're talking cybersecurity, and uh, I'll, I'll do a little plug here. I, I just uh, wrote an article a couple of weeks ago for Dark Reading Magazine with a friend of mine who's a professor at a very esteemed university on the right side of the Potomac River, not the University of Maryland side. He's at uh, George Mason University. And uh, um, the, the article in Dark Reading was called Cybersecurity Myths. Actually, it was called Slaying Cybersecurity Myths. And, 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 and here's the thing to ponder for a moment, because uh, I think we've kind of talked about this in a very roundabout way, but I want to kind of bring it back to the average guy. If, if you're a bad guy and you want to do something, you want to do some damage, you want to infiltrate a system, you want to exfiltrate data, take data out of, out of something, today, if you're a bad guy, it takes you a very little amount of time 
we've seen studies that where you, know, you put a computer on the internet and it's and it's unprotected. It's not behind a firewall. It's on the public internet, and within minutes, it's taken over by bad guys. And not only do they take it over so quickly, but it costs them about zero. Right? I mean, we could do a whole show about the the economics of, of uh, malware, and I know that, that you know Christian's doing a lot of that at, at University of Maryland. But the bad guys are doing things fast, and they're doing it at just about zero cost. Now, look at the other side of the equation where the three of us are. We're good guys, and we are in the wrong side because not no, the, the the wrong side of the equation is what I meant because. If you're a good guy and you want to detect something on your system, it could take hours, days, years. I work for a, a company called Nortel, and Nortel had malware in its systems for over 10 years. Now, it is perhaps just a coincidence that Nortel went bankrupt. Um, slightly after that malware was detected. Um, but the point is, it stays there for a long, long period of time. And it takes the good guys a lot of resources to find it and mitigate it, to get rid of it. So that equation, good guys, long time, hard to do, expensive, bad guys, quick, and very little effort. We're on the wrong side of that equation, and it's people like us who, who are doing cybersecurity have got to figure out ways to turn that around, and then we're all going to feel a lot more safer. So I think that's sort of my, my parting comments. Yeah, I think it's a good one. And my parting comment will be that I naively forgot to include in my previous conversation that today the Canadian Supreme Court rules that Internet... Uh, no, anonymity. Talk to Thank you. Anonymity. <laughs> I feel like saying nemony or already <laughs> the variations of, but uh, they found that uh, being on the internet anonymously is the key to privacy, and they are pretty much, uh, you know, have said that you need a warrant to actually find out who the account holder is uh, of an IP address at an ISP, um, which again supports this notion of there are some governments. Canada, our dear friends, um, who are actually would probably subscribe to this notion of a, an encrypted Bitcoin-like internet. So interesting to see. Let me say one more thing. It's such a pleasure to talk with you guys, and 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 I, I forgot early in, in this conversation to to thank you for all you've done for the community and the, the you know I I got a I have a home server home server 2011, and and. I really got to thank Christian, especially, for pushing me to to uh, installing Windows Server Essentials 2012 in my house. Uh, I I was really scared of that, and and uh, listening to Christian, I, I said I, I this I'm going to do it. Uh, you gave me the confidence, and and and, and thanks to you guys, I'm, I'm now running 2012 R2. I got a Synology box. I mean, we we could talk about disaster recovery and resiliency uh, at another time. But uh, I wanted to make sure that I, I wasn't going to leave this program without giving the two of you and, and Dave and all the others who participated in, in this big community a uh, thank you for, for helping guys like me. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good good to be part of it. You know, I 
lean on the 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 irony in this is I'm the average guy in all this, and a lot of you guys are the above average guys in <laughs> these conversations. It's just my job to facilitate these conversations. That's you know, I realized uh, three four years ago that uh, if I was going to get any smarter, I needed to hang out with smarter people. And uh, and so really these podcasts are an exercise in uh, tracking down as many smart people as I can and getting, giving them an opportunity to speak for a few minutes so that I too can get smarter. And I think about the, the differences, the listeners. Uh, Christian, we just talked about that a week ago. You know, Christian, I know Christian because we started podcasting and... You know, it's one of those cycles that uh, that just starts happening, and so and that reminds me, Christian, I need to pull that segment out so we can put it on Dave Jackson's show because of my podcast, uh, that little section we did last week. But yeah, uh, Mark, it's great to have you in the community. You know, I appreciate you saying those things. We we get on here, we get on the microphone week in, week out, uh, track down guests, try and provide great content for you guys, and uh, and it's always just nice to hear back from the listeners. You know, to to say, oh, great. <laughs> You know, because sometimes you don't know if you're talking to anybody. <laughs> you're like, is anybody even listening? <laughs> you know, you know and, isn't this the time now to talk about your the Amazon uh, uh, referral page, Jim? Yeah, no, that we don't do that on the show. <laughs> no, <laughs> you guys the, are great, and and I, 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 this has just so, been so much fun. Yeah, and I, I hope yeah. you invite me back and we can talk about so many other things. This this is a this is a conversation that is not going to end for a long time, and and. Uh, uh, look, frankly, I, I'd rather be solving world hunger than having to deal with cybersecurity problems. But you know, that's the, yeah. the state of the world is that we, we have them and then we got to deal with them. Otherwise, there's going to be some serious consequences. You bet. Well, maybe we'll do both in the process. Ah, and, okay. And you can multitask. So, yeah, we'll try. We'll try and get them. Uh, we'll try and get them both done. At the same time, my daughter was down here looking for my keys, and I like I, I don't know, I don't know where they're at. That's physical security, right? I don't even have control of my car keys. You don't have virtual keys in your house? I don't. No, no, not yet. No, or I don't have a password to get my keys. One of the two. Christian, any final things before we before I wrap this up? No, it, uh, it's great to have both of you uh, come out tonight, and uh, of course, uh, we'll be back in uh, on June twenty seventh. Looks like the twenty seventh. Although, as I look at that date, as I think of that in my mind, I think, man, I know I've got something planned. So we'll just take a look. The goal, like I said, will be every other Friday, every yep. second and fourth Friday of the month. That's kind of that's kind of what our thoughts are on this. Twice a month, get them done. Second and fourth Friday of every month, and then you can start counting on that. Hopefully, I'll clear out some space and. Make that uh, try and make that work on my schedule, and we'll be back. Uh, we'll shoot for the 27th. Not we might do a Saturday show, so we'll just kind of keep you posted as we go forward. Mark, watch your email box because we. I, I will do a, that. Jim, you've got an invite to come back. You got to hoist up your your Christmas glass uh, to, to. Oh yeah. And the, and the, the, end the show and uh, there it is. Standard the standard this is my standard it all year long this is part of the part of the podcast community here at theaverageguy.tv. We'll be back in a couple weeks with Cyber Frontiers. Don't forget we've got to Home Gadget Geeks. If you made it to Cyber Frontiers and you're like, oh, I like some more uh, tech talk, we do uh, Home Gadget Geeks every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out at theaverageguy.tv/live. And there's a whole host of communities on the Geeks Network, so thegeeksnetwork.com. And we got a lot of stuff going on. We'll wrap this up for now. You guys stay around for a minute, and yep. uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening, everybody.